0: Hi everybody. Welcome to Lost Explorers. My name is Jay David Osborne. That's Chris Sackness reporting live from a closet in Seattle. Hi. Chris, how are you?
1: David, I think that you you've said it. I although I think that that kind of uh is a spatial and dimensional uh description, it doesn't it doesn't cover the deep textural memory focus. I think, you know, imagine uh, well, the, the author, James Purdy, had a wonderful book title, Narrow Rooms. And I think if we just think a little bit about what that might possibly mean, and, and also consider that some of those rooms that he was suggesting might be uh, not above ground, or at mm-hmm. least not above ground for very long, or not intended to be above ground. I think that's a little bit of where where we are so it's not just it's not just the walls Mm -hmm. it's not just what's on the walls
0: it's what's the word what's the word for narrow in terms of low ceiling I've, i've always just heard it say a low ceilinged room but is there a word for narrow that indicates height truncation no i
2: i i i'm going straight to through the metaphor wall
1: and saying the word i'm thinking of begins with a c hmm. you know and it's <laughs> uh as it, I, you know, I mean i think one of my alternative aphorisms which i'm not gonna is there's a difference between a museum and a graveyard you know <laughs> um, so there's a kind of there's a disturbing psychological element to where I am. And for <laughs> listeners, just to be clear, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm camped out at my mother's place. So that may give a, a few more clues. But it's uh, she just made a, a wonderful meal, which is uh, very appreciated and not something she normally does. So I'm going to say all is good for the moment.
0: Excellent. Excellent. You know, they changed the name of the Neon Museum. In Vegas from the Neon Graveyard. It used to be called the Neon Graveyard.
1: Yeah, the Neon Boneyard, I believe.
0: Was that it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I think that they, they got some pushback <clears throat> on that. And I'm sort of uh I told you that the guy who's the head of that was in the van with me. He was one of the six people who uh were allowed to go to Michael Heiser's city. And he oh, happened- yeah yeah that happened to be one of my van mates for uh effectively a two-hour trip um so uh i got to like him in the end and i'm glad you had a good time there uh Mm -hmm. but i'm not surprised they changed the name you know everything's got to be so you know oh dear well we'll get to some things in a moment about what things need to be i liked how you instantly got on to uh Well, this won't make any sense to listeners. I don't want to do a big backstory, but I liked how you uh, immediately got onto what I was saying about the memorial bench. I might leave the backstory on that to you if you want to pick up on that. I
0: will. I will pick up on it. I liked this. You sent me a text uh, and it basically, I'm pulling it up on my phone now. So you send me a text that says, you decide. And I, I like this because in some online circles, there's a, a sort of funny cliche thing that they say, it's a which way Western man, and it'll give you two options. Uh, <laughs> I like that. The, too. The first one, uh, these are both memorials, uh, memorial plaques that have been put onto benches. It says, in loving memory of Irv Steinberg, MSW, and then the uh, the memorial here says, he lived his life seeking dignity for all a catalyst for social change, teaching acceptance and respect for people differently abled and often marginalized. And there's a second bench. And I like the second bench because it's like it's green bars and they're rusted. Yeah. And it says, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and it says Joanne Leapak, carpenter, boat builder, sailor, one gutsy lady. She did it all. And I replied, let's go. Joanne
1: and I couldn't agree more I mean I think that just says so much of of what's going on in the world today but also certainly where I am at the moment and uh you know beautiful Seattle which is beautiful today the sun is shining it's just it's lovely but I think you got right to it there's a I don't know just an honesty and authenticity to the second uh bench memorial and nothing against, you know, the first individual. Uh, I'm sure a champion, a champion of humanitarian interests, but it's a it's a goddamn bench,
2: you know, <laughs> it's a bench in the
1: park. It's a bench in the park where we keeping dogs are doing things and birds are coming. And uh just in case anyone is concerned about my well-being, I was attacked the other just yesterday morning by a mother crow mother mm. crow. And if you think that's not serious business, you need to think again, because uh, if magpies and other birds are, are difficult when nesting in springtime, crows are serious business. So out in the midst of all this stuff, you know, you see a bench that's kind of legitimate and rusted, but a cool green color and it's funky. And its I'll tell you what, that bench was a lot more comfortable to sit down on too which should not surprise anyone so
0: yeah yeah, yeah. no i thought I, li- I really liked that i thought that that was uh i thought that was really funny to uh kick things off today do you have a band for us
1: i do and i have i have a little bit of a backstory that goes with the band's name is bug fat OK, and it is a uh, a brother team along the lines of two brothers I met yesterday. And I want people to think about the possibility of Bruce, a Bruce Springsteen song meets of mice and men meets of meets deliverance. OK, and so Bug Fats uh, deal is the ballad of Roy and george and these are two brothers who look nothing alike who appeared i thought to be directly out of south carolina george is malfunctioned i Mm -hmm. he was probably dropped on the head a few times as a baby but i think he's been dropped on the head more recently or something is just is not right and um a kind of toothlessness that's just hard to achieve uh, without some either cosmetic help or a lot of life decisions gone wrong. Roy is uh, equally sort of hillbilly here, but claims to, and seemed like a white Southerner, strangely in the Northwest, but claimed to have grown up on the, the Lummi Island, Indian Native American Reservation, and he regaled me with a rather amazing but pathetic story because he's like he's in his 60s, like my, you know, he's old. But the the basketball game where he was the star player and he missed two free throws, and they lost to the Native American team on the res, mm-hmm. and his teammates abused him. And Meanwhile, I don't, I think they're just humbly that there might've been a few things that have gone wrong in Roy's life since then, because prison tattoos are something of a clue. And also the second thing was he showed me the picture of the Filipina woman, 26 years old in the Philippines right now that he had just wired $500 to. And I, he said, "Well, you know, this is an investment in my 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 romantic future," which I thought was kind of a quaint phrase for him to use. And I thought, "Yeah, that was a good investment, you know, absolutely." <laughs> that what could be, you know, a guy sixty years old wiring uh, a Filipino woman in the Philippines five hundred dollars. I mean, that's got to be good money well spent. So the Ballad of Roy and George is a kind of dysfunctional uh, blend of Bruce Springsteen and his most maudlin, you know, small town glory days meets Of Mice and Men with a little sinister deliverance sort of edge.
0: Mm, I like that. I like that. I was wondering where you were going with the deliverance angle. oh
1: yeah well the toothlessness and a kind of uh hillbilliness and it's so weird to see you know the northwest is actually more of a melting pot than than many people might think but there are people who just stand out like sore thumbs and uh you know these are two guys who you just out of control you know
0: Yeah, I love meeting people like that. And you had the right response, too, which is to just radically agree with whatever they say, because otherwise, I mean, what are you going to do? Tell them that you you, you just paid for three months of her living expenses uh, for for no real reason? I mean, it's just better to just go with it.
1: I mean, exactly. It's better to say, look, she's really pretty. There's really hot woman. Uh, Good for you, man, and I hope it works out. You know, it's just, yes. you know, there's no downside to that, whereas mm-hmm. there's no upside to going, well, Roy, you know, maybe you should stop reliving this basketball game from more than 40 years ago. Look at the tattoos on your arms and talk about those stories and maybe keep that money for your, you know, because I don't think you're ever going to see that chick, you know? Yeah, and she's probably it. not real. Uh, yeah
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no it's it is really interesting thinking about the fact that you know we're all reborn uh and the idea that some people have and that i bounce back and forth about when you're reborn actually having some kind of say in it being given a sneak preview of what you're going to do in your life when you're incarnated on earth and seeing that and saying yeah sure i'll go for it there has to be some kind of poetry to it that like believing that necessitates a belief that there, there has to be some kind of beauty and even the, the saddest lives that you and I might not even be able to completely understand that we do when we're not in our flesh prisons.
2: Well, what I admired about these
1: two, well, certainly Roy because he's, he's functional. George, you know, was just damaged uh pleasant but damaged uh was a strange uh hallucinogenic almost mix of decidedly singular characteristics that, like from a writing point of view, you could actually incorporate into an interesting character, and then there's just these grueling cliches from the 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 you know the most maudlin Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Tom White songs and you just think oh my god you know haven't you heard that one you know how did mm-hmm. you you know <laughs> but that's the thing you know no it's if it's he apparently hadn't heard that one or maybe yeah. he had, He just said uh ah, hell with it I'm gonna go for it anyway I he listens
0: be. to he listens to Leonard Skynyrd in ACDC I yeah. don't know if he's heard of Bruce Springsteen but um I'm sure he's heard of him but all right. Do you have an aphorism for us today? You know, I'm going
1: to keep this uh, one really simple. And I think I, I have said this before, but I, I'm i starting to think this is uh, something I want to kind of repeat and repeat and repeat, because I think it's a big idea, even though it sounds very simple. And it's kind of something I really want to not own, but want to be associated with because i've never heard this as clearly phrased as as i i do um but it's the psychic principle psychic analog of gravity and i i you and i have certainly talked about this so this won't be new to you even if i haven't said it on the show uh everything wants to be found uh i really want to to hammer that home and get people thinking about that from a lot of different points of view, because, you know, the principle of gravity is that everything attracts in proportion to its mass, you know, there's, there's, it, it doesn't, and not everything has equal power to attract, but everything wants to cohere. And I think that's a really important idea at a point where everything seems so incoherent, discordant, and almost disintegrative, you know, uh, And I think that if we think about that in terms of memory and navigation and coming off the Ghostscape's uh, art exhibit, my whole thing is navigation. And I'm beginning to think that navigation and memory are so entwined, uh, they, they can't be separated. That crow that attacked me, for instance, I watched her pick some branches and twigs up from a tree and then fly across some fairly complicated terrain to where the nest was about you know quite a distance away and i thought well how the memory and the navigation that she's going through is a, you know you can't separate those
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i
1: think that we at a time and this is a great lost explorer's idea you know to to really prosecute that notion of lost because I think we really need to to invert that and reposition it because everything wants to be found, you know, really. Everything wants to be found because what's the alternative? And if there is an alternative, and I was thinking to, about this today, about people who are in hiding right now, because mm-hmm. there are people living. I, I've been one of those. And uh, I know there are people living in hiding, obviously. So that's interesting, that's a different way of thinking about not being found that's not being lost that's actually mm-hmm. being really really on top of your navigation to the point where you could invert that and maybe uh you know find some sort of refuge or from you know some respite from whoever's pursuing you so mm. everything wants to be found and i i'm really looking at that uh, I, oh, the other good news is I'm really on top of uh, dictation, voice memos now because I've been traveling and I, you know, I can't really just find it's not just computer space and table space. It's also, you know, cha- you know, it's all about. Yeah. Environment, right? And so I've been out walking about and I, uh, I think I'm getting the hang of it after all these years. I've tried many times. I don't know if listeners are doing this i don't know if you're doing but it's really really hard and i think this podcast has helped me do that much more even than my class stuff you know because i thought that would help and i think that's a different sort of uh discipline because you also get to roll and you know rock rock on and you you can control the 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 surrounding noise but i've been recording out walking around with trains and traffic and people like roy and george you know so that's cool. But everything wants to be found is my
0: aphorism. Podcasts have definitely helped me become a better extemporaneous speaker. I did a a 20-minute voice, a voice memo on a, a writing concept and posted it online. And a friend of the show, Jay, said, oh, I'm trying to get to where you're at. I said, what do you mean? He said, that thing you just posted, was 17 minutes long. And it was good and clear. Did you write that down first? And I said, no, no, No. I I just have been doing podcasts for years and years and years. And it helps too, when you're talking to to people, to strangers, because I remember I used to rush through everything that I would say, I would try to get to the point very quickly. And now I'm, I'm appreciating that thing about language that uh, keeps us from ever getting to the point. And just well, that's
1: what about. Lewis Thomas, who's one of our heroes, the great neurologist, doctor, linguist, and writer. You know, the beautiful thing about language, he said, is that it allows us to not come to the point.
0: Yep, yep. That Lewis Thomas quote has been rolling around in my brain since. I think that might have been two weeks ago that we mentioned that, or was it? Yeah, last week? I think
1: so. I keep coming back to. I think it's just. You know, some of these uh, great bits of wisdom hide in apparently simple things. And I think that there's always, if you have the chance, if you have the energy, if you have the time, and if the stars align, it's worth revisiting certain things because it's easy to think that you understand something. And the clearer it is sometimes the, you know, the more deceptive it is. And that Mm -hmm. line keeps coming back. I just keep running into it in, in all sorts of ways. And I, I love that, you know, it it is, it really is true. And it means a lot of odd things, you know,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. it says a lot about what the point would be, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. What, what is the point or is the thing that you're saying on your way to the point, the point, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a great quote. Um what is my imaginative challenge for today? Okay.
1: We are going to put you into character. You can decide yourself if you okay. are a kind of angelic figure <laughs> or okay. or that other sort of side of things. But you do have some supernatural capabilities, and but they're limited. You can offer people two choices, a crossroads, you know? So maybe that, you know, there's no angel at the crossroads, is there? <laughs> there's always the other. The choice you can offer people, and it literally is like, which you know, choose a hand, you know? And in one hand
2: they can become a billionaire, right? So win the lottery. In the other hand,
1: either their child, someone deeply close to them, or possibly themselves goes berserk and will go on a gun rampage That will make the news and be the cause of yet another, you know, tragic event that civic officials will complain about. There'll be gun lobby issues and mental health issues. But that's the choice you get to offer people. And so you've got to uh, give us an, you know, take us into the heart and soul of the individual, at least one individual that you meet and give this choice to, and what what they decide, and what your experience as this angel or demon of crossroads power has to say about human nature. Mm. So big
2: Manichaean, light and dark, you know, big stuff.
0: All right. Does that sound okay? Can you handle that? Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Just writing it all down. So you'll laugh, but this week I slept funny. And over the past few days, I've been working at a kink in my neck. It's the first time this has ever happened in my life. I don't know how I slept. I don't know how I got to this point. But I woke up and this little, my uh, traps here were just sort of tightened up. So I'm working that out and it's funny to me because outside of some mild back pain and a bad knee I haven't had uh random bits of pain but just another reminder to get healthy and get sleep and just make sure that I'm I'm taking care of myself. I guess I must have slept with my head turned on the pillow like this or or something. I don't I don't even know. Well, could have
1: done that and there are only 36 summers
0: left i know and i don't oh want them to be God, you can't
1: start breaking down listen
2: i, I have
1: as you know my great uh spirit partner in this enterprise i am not going to let you fall prey to uh the the three great uh well they're not evils they're but they're the traps that so many people i know are falling into constantly complaining about work having body aches and problems and uh worries about sort of medication and stuff because you have many more years ahead of you to launch into that you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's what those summers
0: are are there for you know i'm not going to do the medication thing so you will not have to worry about that um, so I did get a text from you. Uh, I didn't know how much you would want me to read of this one. It's There's always some...
1: up to you, David. And I, this was a long one for listeners and I, uh, I don't know. So it's up to you entirely, whatever grabs you.
0: I'm going to go for it. Cause I like a lot of stuff on here. Um, the very first thing that you mention will instead be the last thing. Okay. Did I read from the text? Cool. So here you go. Bullet point number one. I've heard this question more in the last few days than I have in the last year, and more than in any American city I've ever been in. Who's going to pay for it? Parentheses. Remember, we choose kindness here. Close parentheses. Seattle as emblem. Compare Portland and San Francisco. John Mellencamp's new scathing lament for Portland. I want to hear more about that. Emerald City as city of social justice, endless genders, and yet compare the perspective of materialist mainstream biology. See photo of wildlife info about squids. Open borders, abolish ice, and yet if you see a European green crab, report it. Ironically, a center of supposedly highly educated people, environmental concern, equity and diversity actually further divides humanity from the continuum of life. I see a psychological mess in terms of a coherent worldview of integrated life forms. And much of the compartmentalization seems entirely unnecessary and arbitrary. Um, You talk for a bit in the next paragraph about this tension between uh, tech money and tech people as the self-appointed social justice priests priest cast of 2023 uh where in which they quote uh uh have insanely expensive is that is that canapes how do you pronounce that yeah like canapes. Or, you know like uh appetizers at fancy places you know got you got you Canapes and talk about good intentions which are not the responsibilities of ordinary citizens no. We need ever bigger government and the moral salve of blaming the really, really super rich can do becomes what government and the super rich should do. Really yeah. good point. Um, I'll hold off the Ellen bit maybe for later because I think that's really good. But to start, <clears throat> so we've got here uh tech tech people and the strange tension between that and how they present themselves. We've got John Mellencamp's scathing lament for excuse me for Portland. Um, and to start, the very first bullet point you have here is Aurora Avenue Hooker Parade, giant black pimps, flashback to Oakland.
1: <laughs> well, okay, yeah, well, so let's that, start there. Okay, that really does need to be spoken about. Okay, for people who don't know, Aurora Avenue is uh, Route 99, which is the old. Uh, Pre-I-5, north-south major highway corridor, it passes through such stellar communities down south as Fresno, you know, and Stockton, and, you know, it's that... uh, Eastern California, up through Oregon, and then up to Seattle. And it's always historically been in Seattle, uh, a boulevard of broken dreams, something like San Pablo Avenue in Oakland, a mixture of blue collar legitimacy, you know, just tires, you know, stores, mechanics, barber barbershops, you know, uh, but then a lot of uh, hot box motels, gun shops, sex shops, bars, uh, and it has never really risen above that. Uh it's still a good place to shoot a noir movie, you know. I think you and I would have a, a ball just 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 shooting just random footage there. It's it's a lot of fun. It's hard to do if you're driving alone. I you you kind of need someone, uh you know, you need to be geared up for it. But since COVID, it has broken back to its old ways and this is an interesting thing from an anthropology point of view of how ha- because clearly the people here uh, you know inhabiting uh, and performing and behaving uh in that space don't really know the history of it you know they aren't are they history brought to life in that sense of of that we were talking about with Tom Wolf uh Thomas Wolf last episode uh it's very odd how the folk ways and and mimetic, Uh, behaviors repeat in time as if somehow reinventing themselves atmospherically. But there is a large stretch where there are now uh, hookers uh, walking around in just the most outrageous lingerie and high heel shoes, giant high heel shoes, and sometimes nearly naked. Um, And they're doing that starting at like ten o'clock in the morning, and down as you head south uh from where I am heading towards Seattle proper, there are a couple of junctions where the action really heats up, and I saw a full-on hooker cat fight uh at eleven o'clock in the morning, and it was like in an inter you know this is a this is a fairly busy street, you know mm-hmm. um. And then uh, an individual appeared who's always there uh, and that presence is always there, but not necessarily obvious for, for clear reasons. This six foot five, six foot six black dude who was part former defensive end for, you know, an NFL team. But maybe like a Nigerian gangster too. Like he it was like he had two different faces. Uh and one was African American and one was more African, but he was intense. But he solved the problem very quickly, you know. He wasn't gonna let these scals get into too big a brawl. Uh, so that was that was odd. And it is a very, very uh well, I think anyone would 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 agree with this almost. There's a kind of weird objective element to this, where a, a video of it, I think, would be seen as both cartoon-like and tragically seedy. Mm-hmm. You
2: know,
1: mm-hmm. Somewhere between, so you're really not able to come up with a clear emotional, psychological reaction to it that you you can articulate with one or two words it's it you're you're, you have to be torn looking at it because part of you is going oh come on and the other part is oh my god (laughs) you know Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. and i think the fact that this is happening in a city that is so ideologically uh enshrouded now uh And so very much the opposite of, well, the opposite of sex in many ways, I think. I I find Seattle a very unsexy city. And Mm -hmm. maybe the only way around that would be perhaps for gay people, you know?
0: Right, right.
1: I think that would be... possible and it kind of reminded me a little bit in australian terms of of the city of adelaide which is a small city the capital of south australia which is called the city of churches and has this uh artsy kind of of uh conservative but avant-garde art sort of history to it but just to the side of it is biker gangs uh hookers with tattoo like really weird tattoos uh i knew this one who had this like amazing savage cobras coming off her tits you know you think well that's just that's really appealing right uh mm-hmm. but it was the perfect message cuz she'd of course been you know radically abused as a runaway teenage girl and and there are a lot of like weird sex crimes and and murders and and so while I was driving away from Aurora Avenue, and I didn't mention this in the notes. I was flashing back to my original exposure to Seattle back in the eighties when I was in grad school and the Green River murders, which started Gary Ridgway, who was eventually uh, arrested, and um, I think is 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 maybe the the. Biggest score serial murderer of all time. And an interesting element with that is that he's not like Ted Bundy and or was and like really smart and chameleon. Mm-hmm. No, he was kind of retarded almost or intellectually mm-hmm. challenged, whatever we want to say. But there's a kind of a, a strange sleaziness that for someone who enjoys some sleaze. I mean, I do live in the Vegas area, right? I I I find it kind of
0: repellent, you know? Right. Because because you're saying that sex is an important element of sleaze. If you just have the sleaze without the sexiness, you're left with a goop. Yeah, that's well said. That's well said.
1: That that's exactly what I mean. Very, very mm-hmm. well done. That's exactly
0: you- what I mean. You mentioned Memphis as a counterpoint to Seattle's lack of sexiness and you say uh, something to, do we all, is it, is it so obvious that we don't even need to say it or is it something more mysterious? And uh, I think to me, it seems obvious. Memphis is in the South. It's less encumbered by tech and the ideologies that you go on to mention in your, in your text I think that has a lot to do with all the, you know, the bureaucratic uh, bloodlessness that you find in a place like Seattle. If you instead of mixing sex with sleaze, if you have sleaze and bloodlessness, it's just really it's like looking at, you know, prosthetic cyborg limbs and wires, and it's it makes you feel yucky. You know, I, I like
1: that. I like that. I, I think that's exact. And and I would I would on that same note, I would just go one step blunter and say that in Memphis, you really do have diversity.
0: Yes. In right.
1: Seattle, you've got more signs that say black lives matter than black people, you know, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. it's that kind of of thing so you've got crime poverty confusion great food a hotter climate uh just more flesh showing more fighting more more stuff in memphis and yet i think it tastes better you know i think here we got salmon god you walking around here you know after the apocalypse people are going to go People in, in the Northwest worship salmon, you know, it's like, <laughs> fuck, man, how much more salmon can you, everywhere you go, you see a salmon logo, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. we get it, you know, right, right. But that's, that's too funny. not, it's not really, I mean, and that could be sexy, right. You know, thrashing fish, the power of it, you know, it could be, but now somehow they managed to, you know, everything is just kind of neutered. You know, so you know, that the hookers seem even stranger just to finish.
0: Right, right, right. And I know that in this in the story, there were black people in the story. Um, But what's so interesting about what you're saying, because of everything else that we've said on this podcast about how much we hate the top down middle management. Um diversity and inclusion and kindness and all that kind of stuff, right? We've railed about that plenty of times. Everybody knows that by now who listens to the show. What you're saying and what I agree with is that you want genuine diversity. Like you want white, black, brown, Asian, all different, like Vietnamese people, right? You want a little Vietnam in there, Um, you know, because that but you want the, and you want the, you know, the trans hookers and the, the, the gay people, you know, wearing uh, nothing in the streets, just being, you know, but, but in a kind of, I don't know how else to say this, but in a cool way, (laughs) instead of in the way that we have it now where it's, it's just oddly cold and bloodless. And at the same time, uh, Arceral and punitive and 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 oppressive, you know it's it's a it's an appeal to vibes that you have with these cities.
1: Well, exactly you know and I think there are uh, there are people here and I I've had encounters with three women uh, you know just strangers, I, I went into an art gallery and the the woman who runs it because it's next to my art show. And on the surface, you would think that she and I would not connect because she's kind of, you know, Seattle, non-binary, Vietnamese, Canadian, you know, cool, probably 40s, but didn't, you know, ageless the way a lot of Asian women, beautiful skin, but, you know, really cool glasses and kind of a, but just Mm -hmm. a hint of of a really feminine, interesting vibe. But still, you know, I wouldn't have thought that she would have clicked with me and I wouldn't have thought that the reverse, but we ended up like talking for like an hour, you know, as, as complete strange, I walked into her gallery. So there was, but, you know, I wasn't obviously, you know, she's selling the stuff for 60 grand, you know, I'm i I'm obviously not going to, you know, I'm not a patron of that kind of thing. Uh, but I think when I told her about my show, I I think she would go up the street and see it and, The vibe I got from her is, and there was another uh, even younger woman, and I'm not necessarily saying a sexual vibe exactly, but I'm not putting that aside either. But there's a desire and a hunger for a kind of authenticity of connection that is kind of... Frowned on here generally, but I think desperately needed and is breaking through these cracks, you know, because you walk around and I see everything is so clean here, you know, like relative to Vegas or New York or I don't know, maybe Oklahoma City. But there are all these signs that say, no, this, no, that, no, this, no, that. It's like, really? Okay. Like, I mean, a sign of prohibitions, I think, should cut off at the number 10 max. If you go more mm-hmm, 10, mm-hmm. you got to start saying what you're in favor of, you know, like right, what are supporting right. here in this park, you know? Right. Um, right. And I think though, that there are some of these, some people and they're all younger than I am, but they're not necessarily young, young who are going, I think we need to turn that dial back to, you right. know, a little bit more right. connection.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the, the Byung-Chul Han books that I was reading during the pandemic and philosophers like Giorgio Agamben, who were, and going back further to people like Ivan Illich, the Jesuit priest who had all these thoughts about, you know, education's great, but right, what, right now what we suffer from is an overabundance of education. This was in the seventies. Right. Um or medicine is great, but what we suffer from now is an overabundance of medicine. The The idea of um, everything being so, you know, hot coffee and McDonald's cupped into oblivion is too far in the other direction. And right. you you do need some dark alleys that you don't want to walk down. And you do kind of want those, you know, college campus style districts where if you're there on a Friday night you know somebody might try to fight you or talk shit or whatever you want a little bit of that hot-blooded interesting alive vibrant kind of thing it's um Rios wants to go back to the Pacific Northwest to visit Portland I do like Portland I do miss elements of it she specifically wants to go for the beach but Seattle and Portland are just on my list of cities like, I don't know, name a city in the Midwest, Topeka that I, I just why would I go for for what reason?
1: Well, I mean, I think uh, this wouldn't be quite as as uh, excruciating in Portland, but one one thing that you just have to look at on on the straight up bottom line is the cost. You know everything in Seattle is is just so much more expensive, and I don't think for any real reason. You know I think it's sales tax. I mean, you know there there's it's the infrastructure of the state, but it's also this tech money that that people can afford things, and a lot of the good vibe. Well, I think ninety percent of the good vibe is is based entirely on a degree of economic prosperity, and perhaps that's true everywhere. But I think there are places that are funky and and good. You know, not every funky thing is dirty and scabby, and you know, uh, that's sure, not what yeah. funky means. But here, good is really kind of a weird, sterile. I don't know. I uh, it's here's an example. I just thought of this. You you're saying so this without even saying anything, you triggered this. I went into this uh the restroom on the on the pier in in uh Edmonds, where my mom lives. And it, it, congratulations to them because there are a lot of people passing through there, you know, people fishing, and I don't know, everyone. The the men's room was pretty clean, and anyone who goes to men's rooms knows that's that can be kind of questionable. And yet there, the, the toilets, I know there's no door on the toilet. So that's just because that just would break off and would be, you know, something to damage. It looked kind of like prison stuff, you know, you can't Mm -hmm. live, you know, everything was kind of, and then I, I I was washing my hand and I look, and of course there's no mirror, you know, Mm -hmm. and you you think, okay, right. We're just, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a beautiful kind of weird metaphor analogy for what's going on it's sort of like yeah okay it's all clean and tidy but it's it doesn't have a good vibe it just doesn't no
0: no, everything's not supposed to be that smooth i looked up the lyrics to the john mellencamp song the eyes of portland that's what you're referring to in your text right yes it is it's a very interesting song and since are lyrics and i'm just going to read them this will go by pretty quickly verse one As I saw through the eyes of Portland one day, there were so many homeless, they'd all gone astray. They slept on the corners during the day, as not to be harmed when the sun went away. There were old ones and young ones, white ones and black. They were all shapes and sizes, with rags on their backs. So many people mixed up in the stew, with no place to go and nothing to do. All of these homeless, where do they come from? In this land of plenty where nothing gets done. To help those who are empty and unable to run. Your tears and prayers won't help the homeless. Some are mentally ill. Some are higher than kites, selling their bodies as day turns to night. Where are their loved ones? Does anyone care to be lost and alone in the middle of nowhere? What will it take for this country to see, for the grace of God, go they and not you and me, the fallen and forgotten who are down on their knees, living here in the gutters in this land of the free? skip some of the choruses there. And that I did a fun Dr. Seuss style reading of it. Yeah, you um, did. You did. I was right <laughs> into that. I thought that was
1: fantastic. That freaked me out. That kind of like, you know, well, you've got a, a great reading. You, you've got so much range and variation there, but I thought that was a real fun thing. Uh, it was not lost on I me. Mean, I really enjoyed that. And I think, uh I always called John. Camp, john cougar meloncamp i don't we'll yeah. ever let him forget that you know the john cougar uh phase of his career but i mean that's a pretty um i don't know i mean i think you could contrast that with many bruce springsteen songs and i think that uh, Mellon Camp is often thought of as kind of a, a, a Springsteen sort of knockoff or kind of second tier somewhere between Bob Seger and, you know, a few other people, Heart mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Lansing. I, I quite, I, I thought he, you know, and he's a good visual artist, by the way, John Mellencamp. Uh, I think his visual artist is really terrific, but that is an interesting Anthem uh, for today. And it's interesting that it, it's getting kind of national attention because these cities are coming unglued. You know, I think we spoke about um, San Francisco has just completely crossed the line. Oh, yeah. Uh, I I don't think there's any coming back. And I think with this feeling about Portland, which uh, certainly is, is my last impression of it. I don't know how uh, I think you agree with that. But I certainly think the same applies in many ways to Seattle you know i do yeah
0: yeah yeah i think that um there are two thoughts that i have the first is we talk often about tech money and the influence that it has on a place like seattle yeah and i wonder going back through history if there is an analog with say the oil boom right uh, in terms of prices and pushing people out, because we often associate these advances in new technology with bringing prosperity to places and then the prosperity leaving a la Detroit when those industries move out of town, leaving people right. without jobs. But the entrance of those businesses in the first place is often seen as a good thing. Tech is the first one that I can think of where its arrival. I'm thinking of its of uh, Apple's recent relocation to Dublin, and how the people there basically say, "Well, there goes the neighborhood when this when this big business comes in." Just seems a bit uh, backward to me. The second thing that I, I'm thinking of is, in terms of the of the uh, of of the homeless issue, you know, I was uh, recently. I I don't really stay. Abreast of the news much anymore. I kind of get the synopsis. So I'd heard about the Jordan Neely incident, but uh, I was recently hipped to the whole story. And outside of its surface level optics that allow for it to be such a national news story, where you have a clean cut white uh, ex Marine and, uh, you know, sort of a young, uh, good looking black guy who was very talented at what he did, but was also suffering from some deep mental health issues and drug addiction and had been on New York city's, you know, top 50 guys to watch out for homeless guys to watch out for. But within that story, I think there's such an interesting, um, complexity to the whole thing, you know, whether we're talking about the vigilante aspect of it, uh, the racial aspect, uh, that story, it's funny how these, well, it's not funny, but it's interesting how these events, bubble up out of the hundreds of thousands of incidents that happen every single day. And you just have this one, like a perfect diamond that's ready for media consumption. But it's indicative, I think of a bigger question that songs like the Mellencamp song and observations like the one you've made ones you've made in your time in Port uh, Seattle, really, everybody's sort of wondering about this now. What, what is going on? What is going on?
1: Well, it's reached a point of of media saturation and folkloric pervasiveness that no one can ignore it. No one can deny it. You know, the the, mm-hmm. the, the buff has been swept under the rug for for long enough. Things are 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 crawling out and and getting loose. And these diamond stories that are moments of conflict and collision. And and I think the interracial element is is a crucial part of of the story you refer to. I mean, those are inevitable. And those will will just percolate, you know, to the surface again and again and again. And I think
2: that it's going to reach a point uh, where there aren't where there
1: aren't incidents anymore where there aren't perfect stories that are already pre-digested and and just ready for media consumption that we're done with it it's going to get to very i mean if it's not there already it's getting to the point where it's like the school shootings you know -hmm. oh yeah that was terrible or this the shopping mall you know whatever wherever the location. shopping malls or schools seems to be the issue we get numb and we just turn off, and no one really has any explanation. And people go, Well, what about the, weren't there any red flags? You know, and you go, Yeah, there were, there were like a ton, there was nothing but red flags. Everywhere you turn is a red flag. What are you talking about? You know, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. this is, uh, it, it runs. I mean, I think that the danger is we're going to very quickly reach a point of, not just comfortably numb, but and not just deeply cynical, but uh, something weirder and worse. And I don't know if we've experienced that culturally ever. Uh, I think it maybe has been seen in times gone by in certain societies. But I think it's really terrifying to think that that we could get there with the level of guns and drugs that we've got. I mean, if that just went over the side, I don't know what it would look like. But then again, I don't know what it look. I mean, it, it's so. I mean, did you see that there was a documentary about um, South Philly? And you, when you watch, it's just these comatose people on the streets of Philadelphia. And of course, there was, there are many months of the year when there is snow on those streets, and people, you know, it's freezing. So it's weird to see these just people just crashed out, you know, like Calcutta, you mm-hmm. know. And mm-hmm. my first thought when I saw it was, "Oh, this is looping," you know. And I was looking for, and I go, "No, no, it's actually not." The closer I looked at it, I thought, "This is just going." It's just like a long pan, yeah. And it I've seen that. going yeah. and going and going, and you think. Oh, my. I mean, that's yeah. not any skid row. That's not that's not the Bowery in New York for people who remember that in the old day. I mean, it's or um, Sixth Street in, in L.A., you know, it's just it. It's whole districts, whole neighborhoods of people who just want to. uh, Well, they want to die in some way, you know, yeah, and they, they are, yeah. OD, you know, they are
0: hmm What let's say Chris has, you've been given the power to fix this. You don't have a budget, you've been put in charge. What do you do?
2: Well, at the risk of, I mean I I,
1: I think about this and I think that's a tremendous challenge. I think that that uh, relocation is the only solution. I think urban, the urban landscape, is is part of the problem and i i think that at the risk of being authoritarian i might scoop these people up try to negotiate with some of the least you know less populous states and and some farmland and get these people working with their hands growing their own food dealing with some animals uh maybe living in rough barracks you know bunkhouse style things but give them some dignity give them some schedule absolutely eliminate substance uh but give them fresh air uh mm-hmm. healthy food and um n- not a, any kind of religious aa or you know star of bethlehem you know kind of thing as some of those organizations are doing good work and and a lot of people would probably be dead if they weren't but this would be completely a religious and um very very uh work oriented a lot of these uh i mean I'm convinced that what we, we we've gotta get i mean where you see health and vitality any kind of uh good orientation in in males, I think you'd agree with this it it's some physicality you
2: mm-hmm. know mm-hmm.
1: and um and for those who weren't raised with a you know a strong father or even any kind of family basis. Well, teach them some skills, you know, it's kind yeah. of like a national service, like the WPA back in the Roosevelt years of the depression. That's kind of my idea. Does that, is that a, a, an okay answer to that?
0: No, it's a great answer. It's uh, one of the best ones I've heard because it's the only thing that, that makes sense. And when you mention that it is authoritarian, uh, you're right, but what else do you do? You know, I mean, I think that these people, besides the point that you made about not having any skills and more importantly, just not doing anything physical, you mentioned something very interesting about the urban landscape itself and everybody responds to their environment in different ways. There are people who I know who, good friends of mine, by the way, who cannot stand the could not fathom the idea of going out to live in the country they love the city but they're well-adjusted human beings they're not drug addicts they're not specific they they took to it in a way and i wonder the point that you made that was so fascinating yes we have mental illness yes we have drugs but in terms of those mental illnesses the source rather than being some kind of uh uh, you know pimple that's ready to pop right A, a dam that's ready to burst I mean what if it's the cities that are making people these people crazy in the first place because I could see myself going that way I watched my friend uh, Scott Adlerbergs I house sat for him for a week in Bed-Stuy. and so for a week I was a New Yorker and I love New York I think it's a really cool city but man the constant honking and shouting and you know for me, I like I'm a country dude I grew up in a relatively small town in Oklahoma, I like big blue open skies, relatively fresh air. And where I'm from, if you hear people shouting, you should be alarmed. Yes, Because somebody absolutely. might be coming to kick your ass or worse, because we all have guns here, right? Um, so just constantly hearing shouting. And when you you walk past people, Who are talking to themselves. I mean, they're inside this physical landscape schizophrenia generator, right? That's just powering them and they're powering it. And man, I, you know, all through COVID, you know, I was very anti government uh, sort of, uh, well, you know, all my positions on that. But in this case, yeah, I mean, And you'd have to force some of them because some of them are too sick to make that choice for themselves at that point. You know, if you told them, hey, you're going to be off the you're going to be off the junk and you're going to be on a farm somewhere milking cows or, you know, tossing hay bales into a truck, they would fight you. tooth and. So we would have to kind of at first be a involuntary almost prison sentence that these people had to do
1: i i think that's fair enough i don't see any other way to phrase it and i don't really have a problem with that because i think the alternative is you you scrape them up in body bags Mm -hmm. you know and like the guy i found the dead guy i found in vegas you find out that the you know they're not going to put him in the morgue even for on ice for even a week while they look for relatives or something. No ID, homeless, known, you know, no, they're gonna throw them, put them in the kilns. You know, they the two cops really not, you know. They said, Look, I, we don't want to be uh, you know, really depressing about this. But uh, I said, Well, where's where's the body going? And they said, Oh, to the ovens. I said, Really? You know, can't you just like you know, try to find some relative, maybe somewhere, you know, not not even a potter's field anymore. I mean. Right. So underlying it all is, and I think this is much more widespread when I was trying to review, uh, the number of, uh, dead homeless people in Las Vegas Valley during the COVID thing. And partially because no one wanted to give out any info about COVID, uh, because they were afraid people were going to say, well, it's not really happening, you know, Mm -hmm, Uh, mm
2: -hmm.
1: but they didn't want to talk about this. And I think there's a lot more, uh, ods or just death you know just people there has involved. to be with, yeah. with
0: fentanyl out there i mean there has yeah. to be you know dead, i mean right? i mean i don't i don't care how uh how much tolerance you've built up through years of substance abuse i mean if a what it's something like if they said if you put enough fentanyl on abraham lincoln's nose on a penny that's enough to kill you i mean come on man i mean they got to be dropping like like flies out there, and I think what you're saying is a uh, conspiracy, which George Carlin famously said: "There's no conspiracy when there's a confluence of interest." Right? There right. is a conspiracy to get those bodies out of there quickly, right? Because That's- how many how many tents have you passed, or people sprawled out on the street? I mean, in Vegas, when Rios and I got out of the concert, of course you see people who are at the concert who just had too much to drink and they were kind of passed out on the street you saw some other people who you look at them and you're like they could be dead right so how many of those people just gone all their stuff burned them burned nobody needs to know because too many people's jobs would be in too much jeopardy if we knew the extent to which people are dying from this stuff
1: i think that's right i think there's and and the the authorities from the police on up to you know our mayoral Categories, uh, they have so much to lose already by the problems, the hassles with these people. You know, street hassles in that Lou Reed song sense. Forget about real problems. Uh and and San Francisco is a really good, you know, they tried so hard to suppress this, and they kept passing legislation that made it easier and easier to get away with shoplifting. And people kept saying, "Look, it's not just crimes of, of property. It's it's increasing violence. No one feels safe. So with all of those problems, the last thing that these civic authorities want to acknowledge is that there are a bunch of dead people lying on the street. You know, they have to acknowledge that. With certain yeah. cases, they don't want to go out of their way to really tell the truth.
0: What was the idea behind decriminalizing shoplifting?
2: Well, if you ask me, it's a complete uh,
1: disease of mind that is where the liberal good intentioned frame just steers off into a strange swamp of completely conflicted intentions and acceptance of reality. I think there was some generally some people and the former district attorney who got his walking papers because people just said, look, we've had enough. I think there's a genuine feeling that people are not criminal uh, by nature. They're not bad. They're not even mm-hmm. antisocial. They're simply victims. And then it's hard to then give those people any, you know, agency or sovereignty Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. any incentive to change. But it was very much, there are people and I keep, you know, I do meet them from time to time. And I probably like you, I I just find I have to uh, get away before the conversation really gets rolling because there are some people who seriously want to open the prison doors. Like when I was at Walla Walla, they really do think, that, that population of 2200 as you fanna uh no we could just put those men back on the street you know and we can we can just let shoplifting get to a point where well it's just it's it's all under $90 and yet they start finding out these people are organizing into rings yeah. and stealing right. and stealing and stealing is just they're keeping you know, the, the theft under the, the limit of the radar. But meanwhile, in Seattle, I I think you'd have to really do something quite radical to get uh, Seattle Metro Police on your case. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Really. There, are,
0: there, there are two things that strike. The first one is a hilarious story. I heard about a shop owner in San Francisco who made everything in his store down to the candy bars over $90, but he would give you a discount if you brought it up to the register <laughs> that you'd get a that's discount nice. down to the price. That's that's um,
2: lovely.
1: That's just shows you how ludicrous the whole thing is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The second thing you mentioned that the good intentioned liberal idea is that people are inherently good and that it's systems that make them bad. Two things. Number one, what are systems made out of? Uh, and number two, the, the question of inherent goodness has absolutely no bearing on where people are at at 30 or 40 or 50 years, at 18 years old, right? They could have been born inherently. I do think babies are good. (laughs) We On that, we agree. But the systems that are made up, again, tricky thing here, the systems that are made up of people uh, have turned people into things that are not so easily reversed. It's not as simple as just saying, well, let's take these societal strictures away and they'll find it's like saying they'll find jesus isn't it right like in a in a strange way they'll they'll find some kind of enlightenment once we just stop oppressing them we saw how well that that's worked by the way um anyhow
2: yeah it
1: yeah it's um well it's kind of a doomed missionary um uh, like Catherine Hepburn's brother at the start of, you know, the African queen, it, it, what's what amazes me is that these people don't see that their position is, is not just rooted in, but the platform from which they take off is actually profoundly one of condescension, mostly, not always. I really do think there are people who aren't in that category, but I don't know how any of those that that extreme liberal
2: perspective is is in any way uh deployed day to day in a social
1: service frontline sense. I don't believe that. I think the people making having those points of view are at a distance from the problem. They must be. Because they would not be making having those views if they were amongst that mess and that human tragedy day to day
2: at street level. They would they would have a different point of view.
0: Well, on that note, shall we move into our segments? Is it segment time?
2: Yes, it is segment time. I
0: suppose. I suppose. Right. This is a good one. Good talk on that i want to uh bring up ellen's bit about canning yeah okay Uh, okay uh, just before we do that i I do want to bring this up i was saving it for the end and i just want to bring it up because it's really good i'll read what you wrote here um here's a more positive and strangely subtle insight of ellen's She was talking about the idea of the good old days, and I queried her on what that meant to her, specifics on when that was and how it manifested. Not surprisingly, a lot of her comments related to neighborliness and a greater sense of community in immediate physical terms. Notwithstanding that every aspect of her adult life has been about escaping that kind of milieu, but she mentioned the skill of canning and how that actively fitted into the social fabric of her neighborhood growing up. It depended on people having cellars, cool places in humid upstate New York summers, and even temps in harsh winters. I thought that was an interesting structural observation that ties in with our anthropological interests in architecture. The larger matter of context and the essential resources needed for social activities and indeed cultural forms generally, see that ties into exactly what we were talking about about the potential toxic effect of uh, urban landscapes on people. Yes,
1: yes. Well, the I think that the larger issue of of the influence of landscapes and and habitat environment full stop. You know, if they're if they're toxic, well, toxic results. If they're if they're in any way uh you know salubrious or something that then that then those effects will be will be you know consequently different but I think that we 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 greatly underestimate the the context of environment on humanity, you know we think we're all just because we think we're artificial, we think we're anti nature, therefore human environment uh, is somehow consistent. And let's face it, if you look across, this is another issue that we've talked about, uh, the Walmartization of, of America, and particularly regional and smaller towns, that things have become kind of similar. So we think, well, it's, it's just all the same environment. And I have to say there is, like on three different occasions on this trip, I have uh, found myself hearing John Mellencamp, Mm-hmm. You know, not this latest song, but one of his older hits. And I, I, I've i taken note of the environment and there would be three or four major corporate logos immediately present. So if you just photographed me and what I could see at any given moment, you'd go. He's in the same place, you know, and in point of fact, I, I haven't been I've been in the same social system place. But not, you know, the same lot of, you know, latitude and longitude, not at all. So that's a weird deal. Um, but I was, I, what was interesting about her comment about the cellars being necessary for canning, and what canning would mean that, you know, it was quite, I think, quite a nice extrapolation or inverse extrapolation of how cultural patterns and behaviors form what they what what are needed it's interesting to think about then well what does this milieu that we're living in right now what do our habitats
2: facilitate you know because they're not um you know um well i don't know what what's your thought about what they facilitate that's what i i i think that's the starting point I think that I tend to link it to,
0: I think it is screens in a way. I think the more people live on their screens and their phones, the less attention is paid to their surroundings. And you can see that in sort of modern architecture. I think when you put sales first and corporate profits first, I think that's what you end up seeing. You know, you see this manifestation of the corporation that's beholden to its shareholders to, you know, have 25% increases every quarter, you know. That's what you kind of see. You see things that, you know, how much ad space do we have on this wall? Uh how do we get people to buy things? Um not how do we actually help people to live in an environment that's conducive to something? So I think that it's I play a lot of uh, cyberpunk and I read a lot of cyberpunk I write a lot of cyberpunk. And what fascinates me so much about the genre is that it's really, (laughs) it's not that far fetched from where we are now. They just have cooler stuff that they can do with their upgrades. You know, they can jump really high or have gorilla arms. Uh, But where we're at now, what I think environments are conducive to is to staying inside and, uh, you know, kind of just good enough to not make you you hate the place that you exist in. The town that I'm in right now is a lot like that. It's a lot of shopping malls, and not shopping malls, sorry, strip malls and Olive Gardens and Applebee's. And it's just sort of seems all there to make it so that you don't have to, you don't have to really like anything, but you also don't really have to think.
1: It's try. It's kind of like car designs today, and they're so
2: mm-hmm. broad, parking lots mm-hmm.
1: Really, I, I mean, mm-hmm. it just it, it's so. I mean, I don't know any way that you could, uh, in a filmic sense, give this era much romance and oomph you know, just on that yeah. visual design basis. Like, you know, um, I mean, if you did, if you have any sort of energy, it's like a
0: seventies muscle car is rocked into the parking lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah. There's some cool know. stuff. I saw the new, the new Honda CRV looks pretty cool. Um, I'm a big fan of the Tesla cyber truck. I think that thing looks really cool. Oh, and let me tell you about this thing that I saw in Las Vegas. I'd never seen one in real life. I didn't even know people bought these vehicles because they cost a quarter of a million dollars. But they're called uh, apocalypse jeeps, right? You yeah. can get have you seen it? so there's like there's like the juggernaut, there's yeah. like the yeah. they're all different brands. So I see an apocalypse. I see check this out. I get out at LAS, right? That's the what do you call that airport? I forgot already. Um, uh it's the harry Reid memorial airport for Aaron international right right harry Reid memorial so i step out to the place where the van is going to pick me up to take me to ace rental car um where i'm going to be scammed <laughs> as we mentioned on last episode but yeah. uh oh. but i see this i see this gold apocalypse pull up and it's got a great big a now these things are six by six they're bulletproof and they probably get about a half a mile to a gallon or something like that.
2: Like but,
0: but I'm telling you, dude, on a purely aesthetic level, they're, pre- they're Mad Max cars. They're pretty cool looking. So I can't hate on them too much. Are you looking them up right now? Yeah. These, these are, yeah. They no, no, I,
1: I know, I, but I, I, I do know what they... Because I, I love them too. Mm-hmm. I love them too.
0: Yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty sweet looking. And if you're somebody like Joe Rogan who has a quarter of a million dollars to spend on a car, then why does not? he have one? I don't think he does. He's just the first who came to mind who would. Oh, have yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I thought yeah. that
1: was a perfect fit. I I think that yeah. look. Oh, uh, I yeah. Now that you mentioned it, that's exactly the way to sell it. You know. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um, but there's there's some cool redesigns coming. Like I said, the Cybertruck looks pretty neat. It looks kind of like a t- little total recall truck. Um, the, 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 I mean, the challenger and charger designs have been mostly unchanged for the past 10 years. So, I mean, it's still a cool looking car. Um, my car is not cool. (laughs) I have a Chevy Trax. It's a $24,000, uh, midsize SUV. It's not sexy, but it's, it serves its function just fine. Uh, we had a little Nissan Versa. That's the one that got destroyed by the hail. That was a good looking car too. Nissan's still putting out good looking cars. I think Nissan and Honda still care. But anything, like if you see a like a Kia, I don't know why people buy Kias, you know? They just, they look like little toy cars to me. Or who does those little box ones? I don't think they make them anymore. What were those? Remember those little box cars? Well, there are actually quite a few,
1: uh, you know, and they have really disgustingly clever names. I see those all the time. Uh, oh, yeah. If you really mean like square shaped, they're completely non-aerodynamic. Yeah. But I mean, I think like uh, a, a really cool little Fiat, for instance. Yeah, I saw a Fiat the other day. Those little bubble fiats are, are kind mm-hmm. of uh, sexy and, and interesting. And you know, my neighbor's back; in, they're they're wonderful people. I really dig them. He's a really good musician, and uh they have one of these. and And it's the wife who drives around, and and they're really sweet Christian people, and and they're 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 my age, right? But the the uh the wife is just really; she just has a terrific terrific figure Mm -hmm. it's still just and and she looks so cool and yeah i you know i think because that they are uh you know kind of small town christian people you kind of think they're not hip no they're very hip and this and that that car is tremendously hip and it, Mm -hmm. it suits her perfectly so the europeans uh the the major the two major japanese manufacturers i think are doing something good everyone else i'm not sure about uh, but the overall blandness mm-hmm. and I don't know what you thought about um you know Vegas fashion and Vegas you know the Vegas look um mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of the Hooters establishment on on Tropicana okay. which is immensely popular with a certain demographic of. Uh, black couples Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they rock in from a lot of crazy places a lot of times the south and uh some of the like not like uh chicago but like toledo okay Mm -hmm. and they come in in just this wonderful regalia that just looks like we are here to celebrate you know yeah. And we're celebrating on whatever budget we've got. And that there's just this ebullience of, and I have seen one example, uh, one of uh, one woman downtown uh, in Pioneer Square who was wearing something that I thought just had, and I'm, I'm not talking about something sexiness, so, but just some joie de vivre, you know? Yeah. And it it is, everyone looks like they're going for a hike here and they may be going for a hike. They may be power walking or whatever, but it's just, it's a fashion desert.
0: It really, Mm -hmm. not, who am I? You know, I'm, I'm wearing a, you know, a Tabasco t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. mine mine my shirt has yogurt on the shoulder. Um, But I was in the, the Rio going down. I don't know if I told you this story or not but I was on the 12th floor the elevators coming down to take me down to the first and the doors open and there's a really uh, kind of powerfully built black woman in a two piece bikini with dreadlocks, right? Really good looking chick. And she is twerking on a man, who is holding one of those those long plastic tube cups for margaritas uh, yeah. I think
1: walking walking drinks
0: yeah the walking drinks right so he's got one of those and he's holding it up he's got sunglasses on and she's twerking on him right so she's kind of throwing her ass back into his into his crotch area and he's got a shirt on I loved this in gold lettering it said money does buy happiness <laughs> and i got into the elevator And I was a ghost. I was invisible. They didn't stop for anything. They were there to have a good time. And I loved it. I love that vibe. I'm glad to hear that
1: happening there because I've kind of been missing that. Uh, I haven't really done a a, a real strip. Some of my forays into Vegas have been kind of melancholy and a little bit. uh, Well, like what we were talking about in last episode, sort of the lost people, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, so some of that fun, you know, there's a there's an old Al Jarreau, you know, the jazz who's who's late Al Jarreau. Uh, he had us, so, you know, checking in at Monterey, you know, the Monterey mm-hmm. Jazz Festival, and that's a, that was a big thing for uh, particularly black people from like Oakland, and uh, to some extent LA. But it was a big, you know, thing, and that energy of arrival at the hotel, you know, and. I I really loved that when I first arrived in Vegas, I would just love to see that. And it was, you could just, it was a whole good, you know, vibe of energy that, uh, well, the city, you know, that's, that's one of the crucial things they depend on. So it's nice to see that still around. I'm glad you got that vibe. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So for my challenge, I am not an angel. I'm something else, something else. And I have offered this choice to many people over the years. And it has been interesting to me what I've seen. So I have seen poor down on their luck, cancer patients who've decided to take the gamble. And I've seen poor down on their luck, cancer patients decide not to take the gamble. Likewise, I've seen people who already had a billion dollars decide to play the game. Oh, I like that. I've also seen billionaires who've decided not to play the game. So over time, I started thinking, what is it about people that makes some of them choose to play the game and some of them not choose to play the game? The first and most obvious thing might be their risk aversion, whether or not they are willing to gamble, so to speak. There are some people who just don't have it in their hearts to gamble, and it comes from a mixture of, frankly, intelligence, but also a little bit of cowardice. Nice, nice. But... The thing that I've noticed the most when I, because I am an extra dimensional being who has the capability of looking into their hearts and souls, what I've noticed is that there are some people, risk or not, who are very suspicious of being handed things in life. There are people who view gifts or gambles as their birthright. And they will sit around their whole life waiting for an opportunity like that to come along. And there are other people who associate wealth, not with money, but through being able to see the fruits of their labor produce something. Something. So in the people who don't choose to play my game, what I've noticed is that to them, it doesn't matter whether they're the person who becomes the mass shooter or somebody that they love becomes the mass shooter, because either hand that I open is akin to suicide oh okay yeah that's what i got for that one that was fun
2: okay, okay. you know and and
1: uh for listeners you know david and i we are zooming this but we only uh, released the audio uh but i'm thinking david i i we kid you about the aging skater uh cargo profit uh sort of red dirt angel devil thing you've got going and i really think it's true actually i th- i think you need to do um a couple of self tapes and send them off to a few agents in hollywood not as you know let, let's get the acting thing going there's something about your look that is is uh you're settling into something interesting The the flavor is settling, you know?
0: Oh, I like that. I like that. That that really resonates with how I feel right now. Not to go too much on a tangent, but I've been big on digital detoxes. Uh So today, I didn't read your text until, oh, 20 minutes before this call because we didn't turn the TV on today. We didn't play any video games. But I also didn't look at my phone and spoiler alert when I checked my phone there wasn't much to look at at the end of the day so I've been going through this detox Gus and I have been playing outside we went for well I went for a fast walk he went for a run which was amazing because when he (laughs) I have this great video I might send to you where he's when we go home we have to go back uphill it's about 1230 in the afternoon. And he's like kind of dragging his feet. (laughs) I'm like, you tired, buddy? Don't have all that energy anymore. It's really cute to see a two year old just kind of, you know, exhausted, but but trudging his way up the hill. So I've been doing that. And I have been practicing not mindfulness, because there's something fishy and suspicious to me about mindfulness. I, I don't like that. It's always associated with Greater productivity, you'll have less stress while you're doing the exact same thing. But what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to, to notice things. The reason why I tell you all this is because today I was sitting at the table after eating a really delicious sandwich uh, with my wife. We we made sandwiches today. And she had gone off to grab Gus and go put him in the bath. And I sat there and I wasn't looking at my phone. I was just kind of sitting there. And I had a physical sense. A lot of this is uh, outside the realm of words and descriptions. It's it's hard to to tell you about this, but I did get a feeling of the flavor settling. And I thought to myself, like, if I wasn't me, but I was looking at me, I would think that guy's pretty cool, man. He's just chilling. He's just not really looking at anything. He's just he's vibing out, dude. You know, he's busy as hell, but he's not sitting there like frantically tapping on his phone or, you know, his tummy isn't all hurt because of oh, all the things that you have to do. He's just the flavor settle.
2: Yeah.
1: I think it's a good vibe. And I think it, 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 it's uh, it's apparent in uh, your demeanor, your mental acuity, your imaginative facility. It's a, it's a pervasive thing, you know? And I, I, I think if we're honest you know evolution greater flexibility capability or just a good period in our lives just a good vibe it's visible it, it's a whole you know it's a whole mm-hmm. thing there isn't just uh I, and i didn't always think that was true it mm-hmm. is i i know there are some moments there was a time when um like when private midnight was was out mm-hmm. i i don't know i People said I was doing really well when I was doing sort of the, the both the reading and the music tour. And I, I didn't think I, I, I just didn't think I felt good at all. And hmm. sometimes we are out of sync with our appearance, but mm-hmm. I'm feeling that you're, you're really in sync with your appearance. And I, I really, I don't I haven't heard anything to uh, to dispel that. And there are some things that you're doing, which you've shared in terms of diet and regimen and uh digital detox and i don't know i think with gus's second birth you 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 kind of uh you're talking about the fatherhood experience differently mm-hmm. uh so i think there's kind of, there is a kind of settling of the flavor and i i'm really excited by that and i'm i'm proud that that the, i think the podcast is part of that process. It's not the cause, but it's it's part of it. It's part, it's part of the meditation, you know? It's
0: totally part of it. I'm also, uh, the podcast is a part of it. Becoming confident in your speech. Listeners will remember a few episodes ago, or no, as a matter of fact, it was last episode, I believe, when I was thinking about thinking. Yeah. Getting kind of freaked out about it. But there's something really powerful about being able to articulate what you're thinking about at the moment and not going like this, this would be an example of not doing that. So, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where it's kind of, um, I mean, not exactly the, so already, you know, you could, you just, it feels like this um, this kind of uh, dust cloud from, from speaking. So there's that there's the ability to speak. There's understanding how to, Sort measure your tone and your speed and the volume with which you talk that I just think a lot of people don't think about on a daily basis. And the second one is I'm really into, to Taoism now. So listeners, Taoism is a cool thing. I've been working on my Jing. What you're feeling is my Jing, man. It's the uh, it's the aura. It's the and you can center that through I'm not looking at your phone, reading the Tao Jing, and also you know there's some herbs out there. Rishi, Heisho Wu, cordyceps, goji berries. Um ants, I eat all of it. I ate ants before we talked. So I I'm like sorry. that.
1: I think that's a good <laughs> uh, it's not for everyone.
2: Uh yeah.
1: but I, I like to, you know, the thing about the whole Taoist thing is I mean, out of many bits of wisdom, the one that always sticks with me of lots is, is you know, hold fast to the void. Yep. And, synchronistically again it's not quite like the ferret thing from last time that was that was just plain eerie but um i was talking with uh you know a woman uh in in one of the you know the galleries i was visiting and i don't know we were talking about the void and so we both uh made some mention of holding fast to the void and uh she said that she was really, uh, really a believer in that. And then she had a kid Mm -hmm. and she said, it's very hard to, uh," and this is one thing I've, I've heard a lot. This ties back with the whole uh, kind of atmosphere of Seattle. Everyone's really, really busy as if no one else is really busy (laughs) and things that are fairly fundamental, like work, health compliance, and raising kids become the only subjects of conversation possible, you know? And you think, well, okay, I understand that, but those are kind of elemental parts of life and we are kind of built for the them. I mean, it's not like that's completely out of the envelope of, of homo sapiens. And I, I just, and I said to her, well, isn't that the whole point of of the hold fast to the void idea is yeah. that it's, it's not easy to,
0: you know, if it were easy to do, everybody would do it. Everybody would do it. Right. Right. And also an, a fun exercise might be, okay, you're busy. Your kids are driving you nuts. All this kind of stuff. What would you talk about if pretending everything was perfect the way that it is? what would you do then? There's something really interesting about adopting that as a mindset. I'm a big fan of chaos magic. I know that our thoughts intertwine on stuff like that. We see eye to eye on uh, being really interested in adopting the, the thoughts of different cultures and the spirits of those cultures. And one imaginative exercise I like to sit with is sitting, no matter where I am, no matter what's going on, and just saying, this is all perfect, just to see what happens. What do you think about then? You don't think about your pain. You don't think about your bills. So what do you think about? I think a lot of people are frightened about what's behind that because I can tell you, man, I've sat with a lot of uh, void over the past however long I've been doing, a lot of emptiness, a lot of, hmm, what am I outside of the things that, that bother me? <laughs> yeah. But then well, on the other side of that, there's a lot of cool shit too. But I don't want to talk your off. I want to get to your, uh, your, your tool and your tip for today.
1: Well, I think that's
2: a, a great sort of intro uh, because philosophy really only counts because it's inescapable and it
1: is of the world. It's, it's, it is it's with us when we're at the gas pump or when our kid is, is vomiting up some yogurt on our shirt or <laughs> when things just, you know, aren't going right, you know. And, and what I'm noticing more and more is, I was thinking about this this morning out for my walk, How distant and removed we are from the wisdom of the great literature traditions of the world that really are all about, yes, they are about great heroes to some extent, but there are an awful lot of great world literature stories that are really about very ordinary people faced with situations. And yet they're is in that that tradition a a real commitment to to wisdom and some hard philosophical edges so that when people today um say well i just don't have time for that because my boss is awful and i'm under financial pressure and uh you know my kid's sick and i think there is a great i think you're absolutely right to say there's a tremendous fear of what lies beyond that level of prosperity and uh, basic security in order to be able to say that at all. And I think that this is maybe where some of the real dilemma about the homeless comes in. Because, you know, there's a sense of like, well, that could be me, you know? And I... uh, i heard that the other day and i said you know i don't think so i don't believe that's true and i don't believe you in the sense the person i was talking to i said i don't buy that i don't think that's your real fear so I, i i don't know what you just said but i think that that's kind of nonsense and one of my uh experiments of light i told you and and i've shared this last sort of since i've been on the road but i've been in this really part of my good vibe and i think it is about uh some success with the music and some real enjoyment of collaborating with uh these uh well two key african uh people in vegas and that always makes me happy i just get on with uh the african people i've met and then the artwork and i also feel like i'm really getting somewhere with my insights on the memory consciousness book you know i feel like something's happening i'm really really chatty with with strangers
2: mm-hmm. and
1: i find that i have an absolute i'm just on the beat with what i can say and what i can get away with And I'm not ever angry or, you know, confrontational in a, you know, a mean sense. But I have asked some people, I've gotten in conversations, and I have been, you know, uh, kind of challenging. And I've gotten some very, very interesting replies. I'm not going to say I've always engaged. There are a couple of you who just can't deal. Uh, But here in Seattle, when that's happened, it's been, you know, kind of older people who kind of out, you know, they're just not with it. They, they wouldn't have been cool any, you know, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> a couple of times I have broken through. I have really, I fulfilled the personal mission of an unofficial minister of something, you know. And I don't know, I don't have a gospel to preach. I really don't. I have uh, uh, a gospel I'm searching for, you know. But my sense of this detective inquiry has resonated with these people and i think you know roy and george kind of in the the uh, the uh, vietnamese woman running the gout all these little moments are so rich in the ripples that i can see in these lives and i think most of us just absolutely we don't even give up on that because we never even try i think mm-hmm. most people just are so they're not only afraid they just they just don't have the energy they're distracted or you know those problems their boss their kid and they can't you know they've got money problems oh really who doesn't you know Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm.
1: they they don't make any effort whatsoever and i think that what 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 the beginning of the lost explorer's commitment to community and to finding a little bit more of that the the settling of the flavor is we've got to reach out just a little bit. And so every day, just find one moment with a with a stranger where you really do just push it just a little bit. What if you spoke to that person as if they really were part of your tribe and could understand you? What if you had that courage, you know? And I think the moment that happens... uh. And I'll I'll, I'll link it back to another thought, and this is another way to think of this, because I I wrote this down, and I was thinking of some very specific uh, people and situations, and I wrote down so much of the performance of psychological conflict and difficulty and dysfunction emerges from people who are in fundamental denial of psychology at large Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. okay
1: so they close that that uh, that whole thing off people are just what they appear you know it's just what kind of the bodies and behavior you know Mm -hmm. and so there's no interior life at all and what happens well a whole lot of weird interior life starts pouring out and it's like oh well you know maybe if you just relaxed and let yourself you know kind of have it inside and outside maybe when the inside you know starts oozing it it might start flying instead a little bit or flapping Mm. you know it wouldn't be oozing or crusting or you know (laughs) uh i don't know so that's cool that's that's a very uh rambling sort of way of putting forward uh the simple tool which is not simple at all of learn something from someone else every day and if you have you know if it has to be strangers in the street i think there's you know one what a, what a weird idea a stranger you know eh, maybe that should be looked at i mean if we let that p- pass us by all the time Aren't we letting all of life pass by? It's like, you know, you gotta, we gotta get investigative again. You know,
0: you're me in this scenario. Okay. You go to Seven Eleven, you are buying a uh, uh, an electrolyte drink. It's got magnesium, potassium, calcium, all the good isms. The clerk, six foot tall black guy with dreadlocks, always wears plastic gloves friendly, but very, you know, kind of mumbly and not all there. What do you
2: talk to him about? Is there a moment of like, we're not being hustled up and rushed by other customers. So you can't. Then nobody's there. It's just. Okay. Uh, Well, I'd want to know his name and I'd introduce myself
1: if I was shopping there regularly.
0: Okay. You know, I would okay. start with a really basic thing. And like what's your uh, what's your name? Just open with that. Like, hey man, what's your name?
1: I, I'd go, I'm David. You know, I, I, I come here. I really, I really uh one of the reasons no, here's what I, I would I would sincerely say this if I if I felt it. I not I'm not saying you would in this situation, but this might be a lead. And and I do say this with uh uh a really cool uh indian woman at my 7-eleven in boulder city uh i said you know you're one of the reasons that i come into this store and i always i'm always uh pleased when you're on duty and i mean she we now have exchanges about her children uh about all sorts of of and she tells some wonderful stories She's a, I said, you're a really great natural storyteller. And that lifted, you know, and she could hear the sincerity in that compliment, you know, no bullshit, straight, true. And she does probably know that she is a good storyteller. So we've suddenly got some rapport. And Mm. now, I mean, I, I say, I yell hello to her when I walk in the door. And we we have a, a, a kind of a thing, you know, and she's mm-hmm. good. At, she does that with other people, you know, but I I would try to create a relationship with that dude and make him feel as if he's the reason that you come back to that store, not just because of the proximity to where you live.
0: There's another one. Um, I was in an on cue recently and I have a really good rapport with the clerks who work there um there's this uh uh, younger girl kind of overweight but really friendly really nice and uh, this guy checked out and he was
2: yeah thanks for that lovely dinner yeah sleep well okay i will mom says hi oh hello to her
0: she's going to bed yeah it's eight it's eight thirty it's getting late um Was I saying, oh yes. So there was a customer in front of me who checked out and he was walking out. And I noticed as he was walking out that he was uh, at the door. He began walking in circles and talking to himself. And I said to her, I said, did you see that? And she said, see what? And I said, oh my God, you don't even see them anymore, do you? And she said, see who? And I said, the crazy guy over there. And she just started busting out laughing. She said, no, man, I I don't see him anymore.
1: <laughs> well this is exactly what I'm talking about because whatever the reaction or response or engagement you engaged and you connected with something human and and a kind of need in her that she might not have even known and there was laughter mm-hmm. and I think if we just reach out for those moments and we're not going to get them you know in every instance we're just not you you've asked yeah. me for like what my hit rate is about with these
0: yeah I'm
1: curious yeah. well uh you know that goes to what kind of, of uh if you you know for baseball people, what kind of batter you know are, are you swinging for the fences or are you you know really you know trying to hit singles, get on base uh manage the bunt and uh I try to mix that up. I try to mix mm-hmm. that up. I I I do swing for the fences sometimes and I don't know why what it is about you know, but like these crazy brothers, Roy and, I mean I I no I was going for I I thought look, they want to tell a story, and they want to tell a very strange melodramatic story. So give them the opportunity, but we've got to get. I think this might be the way to think of it: create opportunities for people to share story.
0: Mm, I like I'm, that. I'll Write that down.
1: You know, because that's going to cut through to a lot of people i think if we um i think going back i'm sure i told the story on 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 the show but it was when i was just settling into boulder city and i, I i'm not drinking so i'm not going into bars the way i used to, although i still do uh just because i need a hit of, of the sociality of it but there was a dude there who's you know, let's face it. He's like a really broken down version of me, you mm-hmm. know, I'm looking mm-hmm. at a mirror, it's the same age, but just, you know, he lives in the trailer park near the place, but we got talking about, he grew up in, in, uh, the big national park, just over the, the border in California and a forest fire episode and his responsibility as a young, you know, 11 year old boy was suddenly to release, the horses in the community so they could flee the, the flames mm-hmm. and so it's like three or four o'clock on a hot afternoon in a dark bar with the sun bla- you know you walk out the door and it's suddenly blazing and but we're in the bar just and there's a little bit of music somewhere in the background and the two of us to get he got me so involved we were we were releasing those horses and mm-hmm. the smoke was blowing through and the ash was on the wind. And there was just this sense of adrenaline and stuff. And at the end of it, we were, it was amazing. It was religious.
2: Mm-hmm. We had a
1: moment of male camaraderie. There was that, that I really enjoyed. And I think males have a natural story connection that we've, we really need to nurture and for better, or for worse, bars have been you know a hub of that and they still survive. And they're much better than just talking about the sport, you know, and you're just listening to these talking heads about, you know, the latest champ. You know, I think men particularly need to tell stories. But if that was our goal of trying to release the storyteller in people we meet,
0: mm.
2: think how that would change everything. Totally. I like that. I yeah. got it written down. I think it's, uh, I think it's a really, uh,
1: well, you know, the other thing is it could just be fun, you know?
0: Yeah. There, there's, there there's is normally, normally those two things dovetail anyway.
1: I think they do too. I think they absolutely do. Um, and so my tip for the week is, I think I mentioned to you, and this is you know we're we're we've talked often about the uh the technique of word substitution, which has become kind of a it's really blowing out to being something that i'm I'm working on from many many points of view, but as sort of a sub book i'm i am i'm intending i think i I might have mentioned this of kind of a a short elegant uh, but very utilitarian book called 52 Words Away. Mm-hmm. And I'm building up and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping listeners contribute. I hope you contribute. I've, I've got a list of words that I think are uh, not fancy sometimes. Um, they are three, you know my three favorite complex words: real, equal, natural, uh, meaning, privacy, Uh, fun truth you know things like that Uh, of looking at then possible substitutions how we can repurpose those words how we can kind of decomplexify them but maybe complicate them in some more legitimate ways and i really really believe that the moment we become a bit more conscious even just slightly of, of words that we use things coming out of our mouth. I mean, we've spoken about, you know, with, with, at Gus's stage, you're worried about what he's putting into his mouth, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it, it works both ways and, and people, you know, I'm, there's nothing either sexual or food oriented about it. I mean, I think it's deeper than, I think language is really fundamental. So the tip is try to pin down on a kind of weekly basis in a journal, one word that you hear yourself, which is an odd expression that gets to the ghostliness, the double, the doppelganger thing that yep. we've talked about from the very beginning. If we listen to ourselves and go, well, wow. and it can be something simple as a word we repeat. I remember when I when we started the podcast, I and I'm still probably doing it. Uh, you know, the word interesting, I'm using that a lot more than I like, you know, I just, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, And I think I've, I've kind of gotten a little bit more aware of it and, and, you know, using some other alternatives, uh, because it's not like I don't have the vocabulary for that. So find a word this your this is your challenge for, for um, her next show in addition to the secret words you're given uh and that technique i I've, I've i've spread that on to a few other people and a couple of people i know who listen to the show or are, are actually listening and and going whoa what's you know and they've had a couple they've asked me like it was david's word you know and i said i'm not gonna tell you I, that would get <laughs> the whole show and uh they said "Well, w- will you uh at least give a a report occasionally when you think he's really done a good sneaky job. And I like that people understand it's the sneakiness too that is, is part of it. But the tip is find, target, locate, identify, quarantine, however you want to put it. One word from your regular speech
2: each week that you, for whatever reason you noticed That maybe, uh,
1: and I've been doing it, and I've noticed that, uh, for instance, the the word absolutely, Mm -hmm. that comes and goes. I've had weeks where that has, and I keep saying, absolutely, you know? I go, what what do I keep saying absolutely for, you know? Uh, And what do I mean by that? And uh, there there are other times, uh, another word is indeed. And mm. I heard myself doing that. I thought, what? I've said that like a lot lately. And I, I think to myself, is that, is that word saying me? You know, I really do. That's another one of our insights that we've shared. I think we've got to keep harping on. Are we using language or is language using us? And mm. I think we can often say it's the latter. And that leads us to a very mysterious and precarious psychological position. Uh, and for if, for no other reason than, I mean, who wants to be used like a puppet? You know, like that weird puppet that you showed me the other day. That was so disturbing. Was that was that a, a Sesame Street character? Is that current? No, 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 no. no. This it's is not. a
0: this is a discount. Mom brought this one. I don't know what this one is. Funny synchronicity, a very mild one, but I always like to report them to you because this is how you keep the juices going. Uh, today I was driving my wife to work. She has to renew her license. So I'm the chauffeur and one of the cars that I saw, I'm always looking at license plates because some of the biggest synchronicities I've had in my life have been checking people's license plates out and something on the radio clicking with exactly what I'm seeing. But I saw one that said, uh, the license plate was JDO, which are my initials. And then the number was 152. So when you said 52 words, I said, okay, so what's the one? And then you said, so I want you to pick one. (laughs) Bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch, but it's it's still fun. It's minor, but still pretty cool.
2: I think that's, uh, I think that's very cool.
0: Oh, check it out. Check out Ellen's place. What is that table there to the left?
1: The big table or the small table? The,
0: oh, that's is that a card table or a little? Yeah, bigger?
1: card table, sort of breakfast table. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I have a puppet too, sort of thing. <laughs> it's a whale. <laughs> this is the puppet hour on Lost Explorers, David.
1: I I I have to say I am now wanting somehow that puppet to. Adhere to your hand, so that you really can't ever lose it. I, I think, wouldn't that be great if you just took a day of experimenting and you just had the puppet? You know, it. It really, it's you. You're, look what you're doing. Oh, (laughs) you got it. No, you've got to be a star.
0: The puppet.
1: (laughs) Well, you're inhabiting the puppet, and the puppet is is inhabiting you. This is beautiful. It it just I could end up talking to the puppet, you know? <laughs> Look, you've got to share with listeners you and the puppet. You really do. It's yeah, just well, too
2: wonderful. It's too that's wonderful. how
0: they'll know that I've completely lost it. It's like, well, there he goes. We knew he was we was headed off the deep end, but now he's uh he's completely gone over the edge. He- <clears throat> You have a dream for us today.
1: Okay. Well, I have two observations. Uh, I've been having peculiar sleep patterns in the sense of, I think I've been sleeping pretty well for being on the road and just dislocated and having a lot on my mind. Uh, But I know I'm not waking up the way I would at home, say, and it's been harder to follow my journaling Uh, even just grabbing the phone and doing voice memos. But I'm getting some rich fields of impression. And last night is a good example of of kind of motifs working through, which I'm pretty clear on, but not any sense of, of clarity of plot. But here are the three motifs. Dead or aging Celebrities, particularly in the music field, and it's interesting that Tina Turner died today. I'm sad about mm-hmm. that,
2: mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but you know that's a theme that is ongoing. And I'm a certain age, and a lot of people are talking about it. And uh, you know, there was a I had a discussion about you know Keith Richards still being alive, and it it's sort of on the on the well, it's in the air. But okay, so that's one motif that I can easily explain, because that's kind of on my thinking a lot. And it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of reason to think about it's in the news. But the second thing was a very peculiar, uh, completely designed, manufactured and installed city along the lines of Brasilia, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. which you and listeners may have seen pictures of they had kind of a weird futuristic at the time uh interesting architectural in way but sort of weirdly sterile and also kind of like a peculiar game you know like a board game blown up big so I had this very strange sense of and it had a, a very peculiar quality of a lot of cantilevered uh roof lines mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. A lot of uh, white concrete with a strange sort of texture, as if trying to make it seem not as uh, flat and, you know, conic section ge- geometric, you know, trying to make it more again a really kind of weird way that wasn't working. And the third element seemed to come out of a larger subject of. Kind of conflict with with women and women in authority, the big issue of i don't know going back to being a child and and uh you know maybe being back at my mom's or being around teachers or or something, but these in the dream there were sort of older women, and there was one particular one of who had a kind of head uh made like a rose that hadn't opened yet in, in morning or in the springtime. So this kind of tightly enfolded complexity. And then it, when it opened and kind of peeled apart, it was this just absolutely raving beehive. And I woke up with those three motifs, kind of evenly distributed, and and yet no sense of a coherent narrative, uh, a, a feeling that there was a, co- a coherent narrative. But my sleep cycle, you know, on the road or in kind of different situation uh, that I'm used to, uh, disrupted. But the motif notion. Worked through. And I think that's something for us to investigate in a Lost Explorer sense of, of really, I've been thinking a lot about of what a motif really means, how we use that across categories of music, visual arts, literature, themes. And a motif is a theme and it's not a theme. You know, I think you'd agree. It's kind of, yeah, it it belongs in that category, but it's a kind of a strange category. And something about the this dream i felt was a clue to understanding some deep associative patterning which is you know kind of my whole deal you know that sometimes associative patterns make no sense at all but underneath them there is a an architecture a syntax a semantics a grammar and i felt like i was a little bit closer to that but those three elements does do those trigger any kind of connectivity in your mind or not
0: no the rose going into the b the one that really got me was your you stuck on that concrete for longer than you would think in terms of the motifs of these dreams and that stuck out to me because i i felt like i knew exactly what you meant that I see the same kind of concrete all the time in my dreams. And I wonder what that stuff is made out of because I, I do get the same feeling of, uh, you know, outdoor public park bathroom concrete. Um, there are a lot of school buildings that I have memories of being six or seven years old and there being something very kind of smelly and aged and unappealing about the the cafeteria brick or the the exposed brick, um, not exposed brick, but the white brick uh, on uh, outside when you're on the playground. So that that kind of that white concrete uh, really does resonate because a lot of things in my dreams are made up of that material this is a really interesting
1: i i i've benefited from just hearing your deepening and enriching of that and you know connecting with it and you that just shows you how something you know seemingly unimportant can really trigger some deep resonances between two minds mm-hmm. and you start to enrich and, and develop and deepen it and nothing seems easy to articulate at the first, at the start and it it you kind of wonder well what's the point of even trying and yet the moment i heard you say that that picture completes more of my picture and i realized there is more to say about it because there's more psychological response to it you know the caf cafeteria brick that that kind of language that helps me you know
0: mhm mhm
1: mm-hmm. that's uh and, you know, all of this is about not, uh, I I, I, I said, this is another one of my mic and walking around. The, uh and I was looking out at the, uh, a big freighter in the sound. And I said into the, the phone, very often, I don't feel as alone as maybe I should. <laughs> and, I, and then I said, I, you know, I, I got to remember that in the times that I do feel lonely and alienated. Mm-hmm. But I think all of the, that what we're talking about, and the whole underlying purpose of this podcast is, is to, is a cure for, for loneliness and alienation, you know, mm-hmm. reinforce mm-hmm. the best of our minds and our storytelling capabilities, our, our noticing and observational capabilities, and to have some confidence in them. Because, I mean, you and I found each other. I mean, maybe other people can do that too. And they'll go, Hey, I, I'm not alone. I I really felt like cool when I read this bench memorial and I felt kind of weird when I read this other one, I wonder if anyone else feels like that,
0: you know? Yeah. 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 And those benches were cool. Yeah, man. I think that it, what I'm finding more and more often as I'm, As the, as the flavor is settling, is that some of the answers to these things really are simple, which is that you're supposed to, as human beings, uh, tell stories. I really like your emphasis and focus on storytelling, particularly when we were talking about the tool, uh, because that too often... Gets missed in the whole. Uh, it's not even a subgenre anymore of news, which is you know what's going wrong with America today, and you do find people who just, it's it's not even that they might not have friends, or that they're too online, but people don't tell stories to each other. I've been speaking for about a minute now at this point, and I just don't know if very much of that's going on. And I think that that's the, that's the length of time that people need to give each other to speak. That's how my wife and I speak. That's how you and I speak. That's how my other best guy friends speak. We speak for extended periods of time. It's not these little, hello, hello, how are you? I'm fine. And you, good, nice weather. Mm, yeah, it was nice. It was really nice yesterday. I, I mean, that can all be nice too. Don't get me wrong. But we're, uh, oh, you know the word I love for this? Tyson Young Caporti uses it all the time. He's an Aboriginal Australian. So you know what I'm going to say? Yarning. Yeah. Yarning is huge. His whole podcast, it's called Sand Talk. And he brings people on to to yarn with him, you know, and he'll bring somebody who is uh, from Sweden and who's an expert in Viking studies. So you have a viking descendants and an aboriginal guy who are yarning and talking about their respective cultures uh you know occult and esoteric practices and the things that their elders have told them and it's cool that to me is the the best version of the internet and zoom Mm -hmm. right that those two guys can talk or that you and i can talk um not we might have just solved the whole what's wrong with twitter in general, which is nobody tells each other's stories on Twitter. There and are no stories on Twitter.
1: To do From that structural point of view, it's like not having sellers and how do you do canning? You know, I think there's something structurally wrong with that. Um, but I, you know, I think this is uh, I'm going to use my puppet to uh, say, <laughs> I think one thing we, we should maybe bookmark for next time is, is an interesting question, which you've just raised. Cause I think they're, they you were really saying, you know, small talk can be fine sometimes, you know, and it can really be meaningful. And I, I have said that myself, but I'm, I'm thinking about this adventure, this road trip last phase and also like maybe the two months before just the vibe, the wave, you know, my flavor settling, uh, I don't really. I I don't feel that. I I think that that uh, small talk is a kind of. It's abortive. It's mm-hmm. it's it's not evolved. It's larval, you know. And it's really something that you do in very. It, you, it's unavoidable in certain situations. There's no point in condemning it. We're all part of it. But I think oftentimes it comes out of a failure to engage, a failure to mm-hmm. commit a story. Uh, I mean, we, and, and it can be based on sort of some weird intuitive biases where we look at people and go, don't oh, no, I'm just not going to, you know, it's not like I'm scared of them because they're crazy or, you know, there's some difficulty there. It, you just look at them, you think there's no way this person is going to rise to the, ch-, you know, and I mm-hmm. think that's anything that that undermines your optimism in the possibility of meeting a colleague of the mind, a colleague of the spirit. I mean, it's not going to happen every time. It's not going to happen. Maybe your hit rate isn't very good, but you just can't give up on that optimism. We can't do that. We've got to give people a chance and keep throwing out those tentacles, you know, look for the connection and and risk some weird interactions and some just, you know, more likely just disappointments. But at least we're getting some diagnostic information about the world. We're growing our mm-hmm. whole program of of mind and knowledge still, and I think that only by keeping doing that when we're mature, whether we've got thirty six summers left, or you know many fewer summers, uh, or who knows how many summers, uh, stay loose and optimistic. You know. I never felt that when I was, I I was really like, you know, kind of, well, I know that wasn't true. I was probably always as, as, you know, what I am now. Uh, But I felt like I was, you know, kind of cynical and tough. And I wasn't really, I was always out listening and just, you know, feeding, you know, open, Mm
2: -hmm. let the tide come in and I'll filter it, you know. And now I think of that as being more important than anything.